0: Welcome to the Enviro Health podcast. Your host today is Joseph Livermore. Today we talk to Dr. Yichin Han on his research about air pollution and its impacts on human health. So Yichen, what are you looking forward to in the future?
1: Uh well in the future, I think I will I would try to pursue the academic, quite happy with my uh current uh, uh uh, research area, looking into the personal exposure and health effects.
0: So, where are you from? Uh,
1: I'm, I'm from China. So, forgive me if I, my English is not quite clear in this uh, interview.
0: Whereabouts in China? Tianjin.
1: Uh, it's uh, it's also a large uh, city, very close to Beijing. It's kind of like a half an hour by train from Beijing, more like a Cambridge to London.
0: And is that what inspired you to research air pollution?
1: Um, well, I think my motivation get into this area is uh, kind of like quite uh, complex not very direct so it's supposed to be to be either working in public health where i get a bachelor degree of uh, medicine can be in uh, working in a hospital but then uh i just feeling like during the internship in the hospital uh, for like one and a half year i feel okay probably my interest in more looking into the cause of the disease instead of like looking into uh, treating uh, patients. So at that time I started to think, okay, risk factors uh, and air pollution is a project I was working on at that time. So I just get into that later on.
0: Was air pollution your primary focus for your PhD? Yeah,
1: that's right. So I changed my major into a PhD in the environmental and the science, which at the beginning actually is a, is a dramatic change. I know nothing about how we measure the air pollution, struggle a lot. Basically, it's previously, it's more like medicine.
0: How did you find kind of coming to London? What was your first experiences like? Yeah, there? <laughs>
1: that's that's something that I didn't expect, actually. It's just, I mean, the life brought me here. Uh, so when I fi- finished my PhD, I got two years postdoc working on a project in China, which I probably will talk later on and uh, at that moment uh, my uh, supervisor is also my phd supervisor so he he said to me one day say hey there's a uk china collaborated project we're thinking of it's not started yet but it's, it looks like a quite interesting project and uh, uh, he that's a time that he he already dis- i think it's already discussed with uh, frank kelly the director in in erg in, uh, group so they kind of have the meeting generating some ideas. And he's supposed to come to London to discuss further, while at the moment he, he can't able to, he, he, he was in, in, uh, in the university in the US for teaching courses, which he can't make the trip. So he say, hey, why not you just come over and discuss about the plan? And the plan is largely based on the, the, the project I worked on during my postdoc there in China. So then I just uh, made a, a, some ideas, and that's the first, that's a prototype of Airless. I would, I would say, really? which is the current project I'm working on. So I came over to London. I didn't expect anything at that time. I think, okay, this is just a, like, let's put it away as a task. <laughs> so I just come over and try to put some ideas on, and then we just start to to write a proposal and go for that one. That's a very big project grant, I would say. So many uh, universities involved, not only in the health part, but also in in air pollution monitoring parts campaign will be involved large campaigns will be involved so so then yeah we just started going on and then proposed for that and then it's quite happy that we got it and then i just came to london i didn't expect that the first time (laughs) i came here okay this is one trip Mm-hmm. And then I probably just spend like two, three days here, and after visiting, uh, discuss with a friend. Uh, I just have a quick tour around London, <laughs> try to see as much <laughs> as many attractive points as I can, then go back. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Uh, the life, life leads to.
0: Uh, What's your best part of London? If you go to a nice place to chill out, to go and look at the beauty of it, where do you go?
1: Uh, I like, I like the river. I like Thames River. Any kinds of city with a river. I just feel quite nice like uh, walking around the, the site. So one of my interests is quite, kind of like a jogging around the, the, the Bank River at the south from, uh, previously I lived quite close to London Bridge, and then they just uh, run to King's, where it's uh, Waterloo. This is super nice uh, view, one of the best. And then Parks Theatres and Climbing Centre. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I suppose to use the the analogy of the river being a good place to run in terms of air pollution, I was just wondering whether, one, why the why the river is potentially seen as a, an area in London that has lower air pollution, and also whether you can just provide just a general overview of what air pollution is.
1: Yeah, uh, so when I think of that question, actually air pollution is not very easy to uh, define. First off, getting to my mind is kind of, it's definitely... Uh, remind me of some severe events. So that's when people started to know air pollution, like a London smog, uh, 1950s, and then Moose Valley smog. So That's what, what we learned from there. And also in Beijing, we learned that as a very critical point, it's just like 10, 15 years ago. And it's also de- defined as a haze event, which is giving it another uh, term. But you can see that uh, it's not very clearly defined. Even if you recall back in Beijing, say, why you don't have uh, any report on air pollution previously? No, actually, it's not the case. Uh, We didn't call it a a pollution. We don't know it's a pollution or in that way. Maybe just scientists know that, Uh, Public don't care about that. They call it just fog. Okay, we got a thick fog (laughs) day. But actually, it's probably the same as we call it haze day right now. Maybe the con- uh, the, the composition is a bit different, but the, the thing is similar, that you, you can't visualize a good visualization. And you, you probably have more uh, problem with uh, respiratory uh, symptoms. So I think that's the most direct uh, um, visualizing when, when we think of uh, air pollution. And right now, if we talk more in detail that the WHO has the guidelines for certain uh, air pollutants like ozone, PM, particular matter, uh, nitrate oxide. So we use that, they have a certain uh, standard level. So they use that to define whether it's an air pollution event or not, right? So I would say, yeah, maybe we look into uh, those settings and that's one of our goals to, to set up new uh, limit. And, uh, but beyond that, there's so many pollution uh, we still overlooking.
0: Just to pick up on the point about fog, is the fog generated by humans, right? It's anthropogenic. Is that what you're referring to when we speak about pollution Yeah,
1: but not actually it's uh, kind of like a mixture. At that time, it's not definitely not a pure fog. If a pure fog, like in a super clean environment, yeah, it's, a, it's just like a humid droplet. But I don't think <laughs> okay, that's the case by sure. <laughs> <laughs> then.
0: people there in the Lake District, yeah. by think yeah. <laughs> yeah. That fog's not good. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of your research is really kind of defined around PM. And particular matters, it's obviously um, a term that we use That's in right. air pollution. But I was just wondering whether you can talk a little bit about the chemical constituents of an actual of air pollution, just to begin with. So we've heard about it being yeah. a fog, but what's yeah. it, what, what is um,
1: the fog? So, particular matter or PM is kind of like one of the targeted air pollutants in air pollution. So it's a mixture. Actually, it could be a solid phase of uh, particles, or it could be a liquid phase of uh, droplets. And in terms of the, the air pollution, uh, particularly matter has so many characteristics. Uh, if you're looking into the physical characteristics, you will, you will think of its size. It's uh, it got different size from several nanometers to uh, large particles like uh, several micrometers. That depends on uh, where uh, it will deposit in your, in your uh, respiratory tract. It also have different shapes, has uh, different densities, and that's for the physical properties. And apart from that, if you look into the view from uh, chemical compositions, it could be sulfur dioxide and a, a, a sulfate, uh, nitrate, or some organic compounds, etc. So these different chemical compositions they may also lead to different toxicities. So in a way, in all that uh, particles is kind of like um, some large particles. If you think of that way, is you can't even visualize it. In the air right it's just floating in the air but more likely some of the small particles you can't see it, it you can only be it could only be tested by instrumentation but you could actually see it by you see that the sky is not clear that's the way that you, you know that okay there's uh, small particles
0: in there well so we heard about like nanometer and micrometer have you got anything to compare what a micrometer would look like
1: yeah uh, one of the uh, one of the famous figures, let's put it away, or plot, is trying to compare the size of uh, particles into, like, compare with a human hair. So human hair, if you see it under the, the, the microscope, you see the, the uh, its diameter is about 50, 50 micro, micrometers. Where PM 2.5, which is a kind of like particles we know, we, we heard uh, most commonly, is the particles with the diameters less than 2.5 micrometer. So in that sense, it's kind of like 20 times smaller than a human hair. Uh, So that's give you an understanding of how small that PM2.5 looks like. And then it's just like a one range of, if you look at that range of particles, it starts from very small ones, like several nanometers. It's just spring from the gases pollutant accumulation. And then it can go to very large ones like a PM10, 10, 10, uh, 10 micrometers, or even larger called total suspended particle, TSP, 100 micrometers.
0: So you mentioned PM2.5, Yeah. and that's something that you actively investigate in the ALICE project, right? So would you mind just giving us an introduction to ALICE? Um,
1: so ALICE is. It's an epi-study. It's based on real human, real, real world measurement.
0: Uh, sorry, uh, when you say epi-study, what do you mean?
1: Oh, yeah. It's, a, <laughs> sorry, it's an epidemiological study, or we call it uh, environmental epidemiological studies. Uh, so what does it mean is uh, trying to look for the risk factors of uh, uh, human health. So the risk factors, for example, it could be anything related to our daily lives, what we eat, we drink, we breathe. So air pollution is definitely one of the key, right? I think it's largely overlapped in the, in the uh, past compared to uh, what we eat or drink, like nutrition uh, area, etc. So, so yeah, airless is a, is a is an epidemiological study. So what we do is we trying to recruit a bunch of participants, and then we will measure the air pollution they breathe in. They could either be in from ambient sources. Or we just use uh, like kind of in this study, we have a personal monitor. We can just measure exactly what they breathe in the air around them, so we can know exactly their exposure level, their dose level, and then after periods of uh, measurements, we then ask them to come over to clinic to take some biological samples or do some physical examinations to to know uh, for example their blood pressure uh, their glucose level etc etc then we're trying to link their previous exposure with the changes of the biomarkers so in that sense we would do the round of exposure and health measurements several rounds repeated measurements and then we can we can associate the exposure and the health together to see if they have any links so, yeah, that's basically the idea.
0: So is it quite common to use epi studies, epidemiology studies, to investigate how air pollution can impact human health? Yeah,
1: actually, it's, uh, it's quite... It's It starts from, like, a, I don't know, 90s already. You already got... Uh, so first of all, uh, if we look into the, uh, the, the involvement of the epidemiology, uh, you started with a time series study, which is not actually human involved but it's definitely based on individual data for example the london smog event we just look at the hospitalization numbers of hospitalization with at that time they got the sulfate dioxide trend as well so they see a very good agreement in in these two so that kind of like bring some solid evidence to see the links and then afterward the, the environmental epidemiology discussed much more complex. They got so many different designs and they involved the people as well from like just a crossover design trying to assign um, in one area and then into something like what we did, which is called a panel study. So we look exactly at individual level exposure and individual level of uh, health and uh, outcomes. So in in our uh, study, which is, panel study, they got a very good merit is, um, is it can control the individual level. For example, when we do the repeated measurements for each individual, so you don't need to worry about the, the, the age of this guy, uh, the gender, even the, some, some genetic thing, you don't need to worry about that because the changes only happens in this person. So he got a high exposure. So we're expecting that he will have a change of the biomarkers. So if we're looking into more large like a population in a crossover study, it may us some confounders you need to worry about for you know, the the population in this area maybe not comparable to that area. There's so many different characters you you wanted to worry about. So that's a, a kind of like a merit of uh, of panel study. That why I'm quite interested into the individual. Uh, Aspect.
0: You mentioned that you used personal monitors yep. to identify the presence of airborne PM 2.5. Which monitor did you use and how, did it, how does it work? Uh,
1: what we're using uh, in an airless project is called PAM, Personal Air Pollution Monitor PM. Yeah, PAM. So it's kind of like not a commercial one. It's uh, designed by our collaborator in Cambridge, actually. So they're, they're really good at making this model and in incorporating quite a lot of sensors into a very small unit. So it looks quite nice. I Probably later on I can show some pictures or if we, you can see uh, some of the publication, they got a nice uh, picture in there. So this small sensor is only 100 gram think, yeah, 100 gram, very light. You basically uh, carry it over your shoulder. they got a belt in it. And they can measure PM 2.5, PM 1, PM 10. So PM in different size fraction. And CO, SO2, uh, CO, ozone, and uh, NOx. So measure quite a lot. Basically, the key uh, pollutants also are all involved. There are so many different commercial sensors right now. The problem with the sensor uh, technology is it's growing really fast. However, it's hard to validate. So also those who have involved seriously in the atmospheric analysis, like doing the monitoring campaign, they really rely on only on the reference instrument, which is huge. It's a mixture. It is, it's uh, so complex. So they wanted to know if the sensor can agree well with those instruments. So that's one of the, I would say, a challenge in this area. But I well i'm quite optimized with this area but anyway during that time why we didn't choose any commercial one but that one is uh, the our collaborator is g- really really good at design and uh, uh, calibrate uh, those instruments to make them work very accurately so
0: does like uh, an individual carry this on all day do they wear it when they sleep like what happens when yeah <laughs> when you cook uh,
1: so <laughs> for for that one how they use how we use it we uh, give this uh, uh, calibrated monitor to each of the individual and we ask them to carry as much as they can when, they out- uh, well, when they're outdoors, they ju- we just ask them to carry with them. And when they were indoors, like uh, uh, cooking in the kitchen, I would just ask them to put them close by uh, or uh, close by their bedroom, uh, in the bedroom when they were sleeping. So as, as close to them uh, as possible. So that's how we, how we do that. And um, so that's also one of the challenges for personal monitor is you, tr- you definitely want it to be easy to use. You don't want the participants to feeling so complex using it or uh, it costs them so, so much burden. So when we design it, we're trying to lower the, the, the noise and also trying to make it easy to charge. At, for example, this one, which they ju- just need to they got a platform for charging, exactly. So they just load it at home, and then every time they they, they go back home, just put it on the platform, then they will just start charging. And then at the same time, when they're charging, I will just send the data automatically into the cloud. So that's make it super easy for them to use. And then we ask each participants to use, to carry them for like seven days in wintertime and seven days in summertime. Yeah, so it's kind of like, a, let's say, uh, considerable burden, not too much, <laughs>
0: hopefully when you recruit these individuals, were they from two different locations across china
1: yeah that's right so so uh, one of the unique parts for airless is kind of like I choose two different areas which trying to we're trying to contrast the, the, the uh, to to have a different uh, environmental contrast, so one area is in Beijing, another area is also in Beijing, but in uh, a more far distance area so the first one I put it that way is in urban area, quite center, which in that area, as you can see, quite a lot of modern buildings, very busy traffic, et cetera. And also the heating system in in, in the urban areas uh, is, is centralized. So uh, so in that sense, the pollution has been has been uh, dealed with in a far centralized area instead of like everyone just doing their own. However, in comparison, in the rural size or the para-urban size, let's put it that way. Uh, So we got another one by there. It's just like mostly villages, one-story buildings, quite poor. Sometimes they, I mean, during our fieldwork years, which is back in 2016 in winter, some of the houses still using coal, some using biomass for either heating and cooking. And that's exactly the year that China started to push really hard effort into changing coal into electricity. So uh, probably the last year we catch on that.
0: And that would be coal-powered central heating, right? Yeah, they
1: were trying to
0: change it to central heating. And what would the fuel be for cooking? Would it be kerosene? Uh,
1: Yes. And also some of them also use coal for cooking as well and the biomass.
0: And would this go out of a chimney or would it be... Yeah, they
1: they got chimney. Uh, They got you know this is one, one one part is also quite interesting to mention that they have this uh, stone bed sure so they use the stones to 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 uh construct a bed they 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 put fuse uh, or coats for the heating under the bed and also the heating can goes into the pipe and to to the uh, to the cooking stove, so it's kind of they have a very nice uh, uh, system and it's worked really well. (laughs) We'll try it. It really worked
0: well. So toasty beds. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So then, when you compare their exposure to PM. Uh, from these two two cohorts, as it were, two uh, two groups of people between summer and winter, then what are your b- biological outcomes? What are you looking for and in investigating in these populations? So uh,
1: we actually looking into quite a lot of health outcomes. So uh, that's including the respiratory uh, system biomarkers. For example, look at uh, FENO, which is fractional exhaled no yeah I mean, we use it called phenol, <laughs> so it's hard to remember that so that kind of like a, a kind of like a, we measure the no breathe out you know uh breath out from from our body actually so this biomarker is actually trying to reflect uh, respiratory inflammation kind of like a quite golden standard for that also looking taking quite a lot of bio samples uh a, like a serum like a uh urine samples and uh so For for, for this study, airless, we're looking into quite a lot of different cytokines in the uh, biological samples, which related to the inflammation process. We're trying to understand the biological mechanisms behind the the whole process. And another interesting part is uh, trying to involve omic into link with the study. So this is kind of like a new area. So at that moment, we're just starting to get knowledge on it, and by taking samples, we have this plan ready, so pre-treated, which can be useful for the further omic uh, analysis, looking into either lipid omics or transcriptomics. So yeah, that's one is still ongoing, but you can see that focus on quite a lot of biomarkers and these biomarkers, they just uh, interact with each other in a very complex way, so so trying to get as much as we can to <laughs> trying to see how we, what we're we going to find.
0: So did you find
1: anything? Last year, we just published the first uh, uh, paper on airless related to health, the, the first uh, paper related to health. So we focused on three biomarkers. Both are, uh, all of the three are related to inflammation. The first one is the phenol, uh, which is uh, respiratory inflammation, and two other biomarkers, which related to circulatory inflammation or less pretty as uh, cardiovascular inflammation. So one is uh, monocytes, it's one kind of uh, white blood cell, and also the second one is a CRP, C-reaction protein. These three are all very classic inflammatory biomarkers. So we chose that because these three have been measured quite a lot in the previous studies, and also we also found some positive evidence already in the past uh, in the past project. So we choose these as the three solid ones to see if we can replicate this in this study as well. And what we found is that all of the three biomarkers, they show very consistent changes, which is uh, positive changes when we, uh, the PM exposure increases. So this is not only in urban site, but also in the peri-urban uh, para- site as well. A very interesting point for the analysis or for this paper is we, start, we started to compare the health effect from the personal exposure, which means that the exposure measured by the personal monitor and the exposure from the air pollution monitoring station which is kind of like a classy way in the epidemiology studies one the personal monitor is not so popular, uh, not developed yet. So we're trying to see, okay, if we're using, when, when we're trying to measure the exposure uh, for a person, using the ambient exposure, would it be any difference by using the, the personal exposure? And the, it is actually. So using personal exposure we found all the three biomarkers they just increased statistically and also quite solid. Well if we using ambient exposure, some of the biomarkers, the if either the effect is attenuated, but it's due statistically significant, or they just became the the, the, the effect just became known. So in that sense, it gives us some ideas of, okay, in the um, traditional understanding of, okay, air pollution definitely has adverse effect to uh, to human, but would it be so accurate? Because logically or intuitively you would think, okay, using the ambient exposure could only represent part of your exposure, right? For example, most of the time you're, you're indoors, like a 70, 80, or even longer time for elder people, you're just living indoors. So, and also when during the transport, you definitely will experience a higher exposure and it's also not, fo- not close by your residential area. So it's definitely total different exposure scenarios. And the third one is the air pollution from ambient may be different from those who experience indoors or d- during the traffic hours, right? You probably have different, totally different chemical compositions. So these are all questions that may involve, and some may li- look into it. However, when we talk about the health effect related to these two metrics, we got so little knowledge on it. And what we we probably one of the first uh, several teams in the world trying to look into the health, the difference of the health effect. And we know that oh, oh, there's a lot of teams already looking into the, Exposure, let's put it misclassification. The, the difference between the two already, like the metrics in our center. So, like kind of like a brain us together to see, okay, how important it is to look at the personal exposure in the I don't know next several years. Looking, I'm quite interested to see how and trying to look into more health outcomes. This is just first first start we have,
0: we're we're ongoing right now. <laughs> So I have two questions, right? Yeah. The first one is, you mentioned inflammatory markers, rather, for both your respiratory system and also cardiovascular system. I was just wondering how that translates to health. When we think about air pollution, it's quite frequently used attributable deaths, right? Attributable lives, uh, years of life loss. So how does that translate? That's my first question. And then my second question is, with what you've just said being considered, is there a possibility for them to be undercounting how bad air pollution is on human health? given these studies were designed based on, as you say, an ambient um, sampler that was in a postcode rather than personal monitor.
1: Right, let's go for the first one, how, how you can interpret these inflammatory biomarkers into, I mean, more like into disease or, or death. So how do I see this? I would say it always reminds me of one graph first. It's also from WHO. one of the review or report from WHO. It's kind of like a triangle, so on the top of the triangle is kind of like a uh, death, which is caused by any risk factor, and then disease, and then symptoms, and then biomarkers, which what, what we're talking about like inflammatory molecules, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know how they interact. So if you think of like an iceberg and a sea, so the top is uh, death and disease. It's definitely, we can easily quantify it as in numbers, right? So it's easy to know, okay, how much, is a burden it's very very intuitive but beyond that you already got but before you have the disease you probably already uh have a, like a cough. You already have a, a sputum, etc. And even beyond that, maybe what you don't know, you don't you don't feel anything. You just feel and the weather and then there's already some biological changes in your body. So that's what we are trying to look at. It's kind of like okay, um, isn't it? It's a bit hard to to link with the reality, but I think it's kind of like a a part, very important part to 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 link that. Otherwise, okay, we know that we probably know, okay, uh, air pollution can cause certain numbers of deaths every year, just control air pollution. But isn't there any other pathways that you can do maybe the, to to understanding the uh, biological pathways, you probably can think, okay, we can maybe take some certain, uh, let's say, uh, medicines to prove uh, a certain pathway or prevent certain pathways, or maybe for the personal exposure, we can probably know exactly what kind of sources you're experiencing. Then you can we can target it on the certain ones. So that's why mechanisms is kind of like is. It's complex. It's very, very yeah, even some of some of the time you're 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 just uh sunk into it, but I still think it's a way out in a way that what we're trying to understand is definitely not as past decade more many, many decades we're looking into population level, like we do in cohorts, we do in cross sectional studies, that we're trying to find a risk factor. More Recently, as so many uh, technology develops, we can more looking into a personal level, which you can maybe give very targeted advice to a certain person. That's a fascinating part to me. And to get to there, definitely you need to handle a, a large, how to say, a large metrics of health and exposure parts. So I think we we don't know about this magic box what's inside yet, but definitely we, we're looking into that. That, that That's a, the that's a way I, I think of it. And there's already quite a lot of biological pathways, uh, so we just need to figure out more how these mo- molecules uh, interact. So that's the first one. The second one is related to, so would these evidence kind of like... Um, uh, and compromise the the, the results from, from from the previous study looking into ambient exposure. Well, w- well, we internally have a quite a lot of discussion in the exposure team on it. Actually, we don't know it yet. So I would say it's two different metrics. So what we reached for the understanding, I would say, it's different. It's different. Two different metrics. Even think of the ambient exposure. And indoor exposure. If we just divide it into two different metrics, you probably can find both of them or have have their own uh, individual health effects. So, in that sense, there's also another way. Trying to like in our team uh, from uh, led by Ben. So Ben is also trying to look into that areas as well. Ben and have been working on that. Uh, so, if we got a personal exposure uh, uh, measurements, how can we uh, divide it? What how much or how, what what's amount or how much air pollution is coming from the outsource, outdoor sources, how much is from indoor sources, etc. So, yeah, in a nutshell, I, I don't think it will compromise the results, but we definitely need to add personal exposure perspective into uh, to see. Maybe, you know, some days in the future, we probably will have new standards for personal exposure or personal advice.
0: I was going to throw you off and ask you about Lipidomics.
1: Well, quite happy to bring that out, actually. uh, uh, So this is from our previous project when I was uh, in in my postdoc in China, actually, two, three years before airless. So the study is called SCOPE. Uh, So it's also a panel study, very similar as airless, but airless brings quite a lot of further steps based on the experience of that. Uh, Maybe the main uh, difference is looking into uh um a different population so this population is uh, pre diabetes the the uh population with a uh, pre diabetes so which we assume that they will have; they're more sensitive to, to to the health impact of air pollution because by then, at that time, there's already quite increasing evidence showing air pollution not related just to respiratory disease, cardiovascular disease, but also metabolic disease dysfunctions. So, okay, then we say, uh, why trying to find some population like that? Diabetes or pre-diabetes. So we're just targeting them on pre-diabetes because they don't take medicine. We don't want this confounding factor. Alright then. So one of the aim is trying to see uh, uh, what air pollution, yeah, what changes will uh, the air pollution cause to 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 this population compared to the healthy subjects. And one of the group of biomarkers we focus on this study is uh, lipidomic. It's actually quite quite new. When we do that, we didn't know about this. We just take blood samples, and then uh, at that time, omic has been developed so fast, and you can see a lot of. Uh, Different area: genomics, uh, transcriptomics, and also metabolomics, right? So, uh, lipidomics is exactly one of the area of uh, uh, a, a metabolomic. A look at a sp- or a, a wide range of lipids. Let's let's put it that way. So, what we do is we are trying to uh, do a targeted analysis, targeted omic analysis, because we want to understand what we are what we measured and what this molecules refers to so we do that one uh so in that study we just published one last year actually looking into uh several species of uh, uh lipidomics including uh the PUFA which is uh, uh polyunsaturated uh, fatty acids, so if we, uh, th- that might be not the we're, species we're more familiar with, it's kind of like a DHA or EPA, which is quite abundant in fish oil, if you go into the, the supermarket, you definitely will see uh, these sh- abbreviations so that's kind of like a something, um, so this kind of molecules is quite abundant in cell membrane, so it's a big component, and uh, the uh, the uh, proposed idea or biological mechanisms is one um, we know that air pollution has the oxidative potentials. So, when, when the cells are exposed to uh, external uh, stimuli, then oxalipin formation begins with the uh, uh, hydrolysis of uh, pufus. So, then there will be so many enzymes involved in uh, into this uh, metabolization process, and that then it will generate like hundreds more kinds of uh, oxylipins, which is small lipid mediators which are uh, involved in several different biological uh, process. For example, it could be related to pro-inflammation or anti-inflammation or uh, a um, uh, pro-resolving process, et cetera, were related to endothelial dysfunction. So all these mentioned, is there infl- inflammation or endothelial related um, process they are directly linked with uh, cardiovascular disease or respiratory disease, et cetera. So this kind of like a way we're looking into. So the function of um, these oxalipins has been noted in the previous studies, but it's mainly in um, like a nutrition studies, etc. And we also know that air pollution can lead to cardiovascular uh, this disease. The process is also uh, known. However, how if it's possible to see the links between air pollution and the oxylipins is, uh, is some part we're missing right now so we're trying to detect that so yeah so just carry that 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 out and uh surprisingly we measure several we we focus on different uh, several uh particles at the at the, at the first stage uh, pm2.5 black carbon and also ultra fine particles
0: so was so is this uh sorry just to interrupt so was this again in Beijing with two yeah, different this cohorts is a, of yeah, panel it's, study? Yeah, it's okay. again
1: in Beijing. So, so uh, what we found is uh, including the 3-PUFA and also several other oxylipins, exactly related to pro-inflammation, they got, they got in, in, uh, statistically increased after the exposure of PM, especially with the PM2.5 and ultrafine particles. So that's kind of like a very good evidence uh, for the beginning. We screen out the lipidomics areas and say, okay, hey, there's some uh, uh, biomarkers, which is interesting. This lipid uh, mediators may involve in the process. And um, then what we're thinking right now is trying to move on further to see if there's any difference between the sub- susceptible population, the prediabetes with the health. Actually, we already uh, submitted in the journal just uh, like... Uh, several days ago on that one we found it did Uh, for certain biomarkers one certain biomarkers especially related to inflammation we see a different changes especially pre-diabetes they show a much stronger increase compared to the healthy ones so that kind of like a uh, it's one of the fascinating parts trying linking pollution with omics studies uh, maybe a small step but we will see further, further, first of all, if we can, we, we're going to do that in airless as well. Um, the, the, opi, uh, the lipidomics analysis already done in the lab, which you see, okay, if we can see that in urban area and in rural area as well, and also maybe some other omega biomarkers involved to understand, okay, how it can help us to, to interpret the, the, the biological mechanisms.
0: and i know this is um going to be a really basic question following um your description of lipidomics but i just wanted to know uh how often is it actually monitored that oxylipin signaling pathways actually imp- are impacted by air pollution exposure or is this something that you No, f- it's
1: definitely something new. I definitely think something new. This paper probably uh if we're talking about a human related uh human based study this is probably the second one i think. Uh there's another one uh, Down, uh, in the Beijing Olympic time, actually, is a lead by a U.S. team and also a Chinese collaborator. Uh, not exactly the same lipidomics; they measure different things combined together. At that time, I, I don't think it's called lipidomics as well. They focus on several uh, PUFA and its uh, mediated uh, perimeters. Um, so, uh, I will assume more study with uh, if if we can we can uh, have a more comprehensive. Measurement of the lipid uh, areas, we can know much much better, and that definitely depends on the techniques developed. Well, MRC MRC is super super good in doing that. They have a they they got a center directly targeting on a huge number of I mean different areas of omics, including lipidomics is also involved in it. The only part is uh, we just started to also trying to link with air pollution. They probably already linked with disease. That's developing so fast already right everyone wants to know okay if you got certain disease versus a healthy group or a non-disease group if this uh character pattern will uh, let's say omic signatures will difference so that's how they play it in the in the omic area but not too much linking with the risk factors i think that's a part is getting growing really fast right now
0: uh, sorry so we've heard now how air pollution can have an impact on our on our health I was just wondering, with the PM measurements that you've obtained from Beijing, and we know how polluted potentially air pollution is in Beijing, how does that compare to, say, London, Paris, or Boston in America?
1: Yeah, um, so, um, I mean, for this question, is um, uh, I'd like to interpret it in two ways, maybe. So first of all, if we think of the conclusions, that they're quite similar. And It means that we're looking into if any, uh, which of let's say, which of the air pollutants species is toxic, or which of the health outcomes may be more uh, significant, etc. So we probably can find very similar results or conclusion understandings. Uh, for example, the phenol, uh, the, the three biomarkers I just mentioned: the phenol, CRP, uh, uh, monocytes, or white blood cell. And also some of the cytokines we uh, found, os- uh, we we also found significant results in the previous studies, has been listed as a good indicator in other uh, publications all around the world as well. For example, uh, interleukin six, uh, etc. Um, however, if we're thinking of the magnitude of the effect, that's a totally different way. Um, so. Uh, it's hard to get a, a solid idea of where is higher or where is lower, because it depends on which uh, outcomes we look at. Um, but I would say there's definitely a huge difference, uh, and I want to give two examples. One is uh, understanding of uh, from from the Cohort Study. If we just look at the very. Uh, uh, let 's say general indicate health outcomes like um, uh, death uh, numbers uh, the risk effect uh, uh, risk assessment will show that okay cohort in China shows a, a much higher effect compared to the other areas around the world uh, and there's a very famous uh, example showing this uh, exposure uh, um, response curve that 's linking all the evidence found. Uh, All the cohort evidence found in the world okay most of the evidence is done in the western uh, countries which is a very lower exposure level and apart from that you would just directly jump into the other end of the exposure which they have nowhere to uh, try to try to find such uh, uh, a high exposure area so they just use the tobacco smoking and translate it into a PM exposure level. So trying to get an end. because when we think of the exposure level, definitely it will just like a, a PM exposure increases and then the death number increases. But it's not; it shouldn't be a a, a linear regression, right? It should be plateaued afterwards. Ad- otherwise, if you expose to really really high exposure, everyone you know dies or something. But it's kind of like a the the curve is getting into getting into plateau. So the middle part of the exposure is missing, where we previously just had some cohort evidence from China, and one of them showed that in, in the study is just right fit into, the, into, into that curve. So I think more studies like that is needed to get into understand the estimate or the magnitude of the effect uh, in terms of the exposure level. Um, so... Uh, on the other side, related to the biomarkers, it's getting quite tricky as what we are interested in, into this uh, like symptoms or biomarkers. Um, so I I don't have any conclusions, but I can say that uh, the magnitude definitely is different. And uh, it's also different in the, because of the exposure level, I would say, uh, the range of exposure in China, if you're talking about the, the, the acute exposure we measure, is so dramatic. So in a haze event, it can go easily to several hundred microgram in the, like for example, in airless study. And so in some normal days, it's just go going back to several tens of uh, microgram per cubic meter. So this stress change also related to the magnitude of effect size. So yeah, so in a nutshell, conclusions, yeah, similar comparative, but not the effective size. Mm. Yeah
0: so is this what your academic career but as you mentioned at the start of this interview, yeah. you would like to continue in academia and research and how imp- air pollution impacts human health so is that this the direction in which you're going to be yeah i on? think
1: i will pursue on that and uh, in the way on it i think i, I changed my mind minorly several times because it, it's still a big area even we talk about environmental epidemiology it's still so many things I can look into. So the the thing, one of the thing I learned recently, uh, I mean, in several years, recent several years is how I can put myself or place myself in a direction which I really interested in, but also has a, um, y- you know which, uh, tiny area you are targeted on. In my in my way, I will definitely look into the personal exposure much more than ambient in the future i would say uh n- not try to avoid them at all but trying to add more personal measurements in the EPI studies, and then looking into so how markers so like the uh, trying to understand that and the third of all uh is an area how i can put my results linking with the public that's kind of like a, a part i missed quite well in, in, in my previous studies i will Take it that Yeah. The reason is um, this is a very important lesson. When, when I came to UK and I found very uh, useful for me as in China, most of the things is uh, OK. We wanted to understand uh, 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 what well, we, we also targeted on important questions, but how you can interpret the results into uh, audience like an uh public how how you can be how how your research can be useful and here when i came to uk there's a lot of uh aspect looking into uh PPI which is a uh, population and public uh instruction or something i can't remember the exact yeah so they try to um translate the scientific research into a plain language and that i think is a, is is a quite inspiring me And why I think that is, okay, uh, what's the point of my research? If I look into the personal exposure, okay, definitely that's the linking more intuitively, right? I wanted to give a a direct uh, advice into a person coming over to me instead of telling them, okay, you definitely need to reduce air pollution. Well, that's not a person can do, right? The person can only ask a, a, a government to do that. What they can do, what they can learn is, okay, where I experienced the high exposure and what happened into my body or even, um, well, just some, some, some <laughs> other thinking related to, for example, uh, physical activity or sports or what kind of, uh, this pollution can affect my performance or affect etc. So that's the things I I'm really fascinated with right now. It's kind of like putting my ex- expertise in an application and I think, okay, there's some click there, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I definitely wanted to do that. So there's something for the next step. I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, the fellowship or positions where I can, I can, I can strengthen on that part.
0: Yeah. Sure. So what best advice do you have for future scientists? So for my, uh,
1: if I look back into my pathways, I would say, um, curiosities is kind of always my uh, passion or uh, my my biggest motivative uh, into looking to things, not only career pathways, but also everything in my life. So trying to, if you found something quite interesting to you, alright, try it, and try if it suits you. If not, uh, just you can just cross it out. If yes, or you're not sure, just keep it a bit longer and always open-minded. I think that's the most important thing for me. I think that the most beautiful thing for me, including uh, getting into this pathway, is uh, based on that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very
1: much for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph.